Well, you can remain standing as we read today's preaching passage. It comes from the book of Titus, Titus chapter 2. We're going to be focused on verses 7 to 8 tonight, but I'm going to read this entire section, 2, 1 through 10, since it gives us some context as we get into the text. So the book of Titus, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. This is our text here. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. This is God's word. You may sit down. Well, let's pray once again as we come to the word of God And seek to understand what it means for us today. Father, we are humbled that you would use us, me, someone who is a broken vessel to proclaim the glories of the riches that are in Christ Jesus and the riches of your word. So Lord, open up that word to us now by the power of your spirit. May you be honored in it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, I want to ask you a question, and it might be a little awkward at first, but do you trust Christian leaders? Do you trust Christian leaders? Now, I hope the answer for all of you who are at College Church is that, yes, you trust the leaders here at College Church. You, you trust Pastor Josh and the rest of us and the elders, but by and large, do you trust Christian leaders? If you're like most Americans, the answer to that is no. According to a December 2020 Gallup poll just recently, only two in five Americans, 39% would say that pastors have high honesty and ethical standards. Now this is down from 30 plus years ago where it was 67% back in 1985. Gallup did the same exact poll on pastors' ethical and morality. So of all the professions listed, pastors or clergy came in seventh place. Can you guess what came in number one? Yeah, any guesses? Any uh, politician? No, number one, most trusted, not, not least trusted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, most trusted 
Used cars would be lower. Yeah, yeah. Hope, we were above used cars dealers, so we did, we did beat them. The highest ethical and morality standards was nurses. Americans thought nurses, 89% trusted nurses. And I love nurses. It's wonderful. But seventh place, seventh place for Christian leaders. That is awful. That is awful. I'm glad for nurses. I'm sad for pastors. So friends, this is a problem. And to be clear, I know this study was based on the response of all Americans. So it wasn't church-going Americans. Hopefully church-going Americans would have more than a 39% confidence in the morality and ethical behavior of their pastors. But it does beg the question, why aren't Christian leaders trusted in this nation? Why the decline from 30 years ago? Well, I think there's many factors. One of them almost certainly is the many scandals that we have seen over the last 30 years, and especially over the last few years, even some right here in the Chicagoland area. So there's scandals, there's hypocrisy. There's people that, you know, if you meet the average non-Christian, what do they often say about Christians? Well, you believe this, but you live this way. And so your leaders must be doing something wrong. So there's hypocrisy. And then there's also just the secularization of our culture. If you're in a profession where you're talking about absolute truth, that's not going to be respected in our culture in this day and age. So there's a secularization of our culture. But the point is, is that this present situation of Christian leaders not being trusted is hugely out of step with what the Bible's call of what a Christian leader should be. And I'm sure the enemy of our souls delights in this kind of mistrust in Christian leaders because it goes against everything that a leader in God's church is supposed to be. So tonight, as we continue this series in Titus, we are going to look at God's call to church leaders from his word, and we will be confronted with the incredibly high standard for pastors and elders But don't worry, this is not going to be a sermon just to the few pastors and elders here. No, I trust that God is going to challenge us through his word. He's going to show us what this means for those of us who aren't in that place of leadership. So in case you haven't been here for a while, I just want to get us up to speed on where we're at in the book of Titus. Now, Titus is a personal letter from the Apostle Paul to Titus, his protege, his young protege. He was, a, he was Greek. He was a Gentile. But he, Paul calls him elsewhere a co-laborer with him in the gospel. Titus had served in uh, Corinth. You might remember when Pastor Josh talked about the generosity sermon. Titus was responsible for getting that money and bringing it to the Jerusalem church. He was a trusted coworker. He served in Corinth. He served in Macedonia with Paul. And now Paul has sent him on a difficult ministry assignment. We never hear about this mission to Crete in the book of Acts, but apparently Paul had gone there and there were many converts in this place. And why was it a difficult place to minister for Titus who was sent there? to kind of establish this church. Well, even Paul, he quotes the the poets, uh, their own poets, where it says, Cretans were liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And then he he goes on, he says, this testimony is true. 
That's actually true. This is what the people of Crete are like. So here we have this situation with young believers in Crete in a place that's worse than Las Vegas, and false teachers have infiltrated the church. And so Titus has this command to go and put things in order and to build up the church and appoint elders that would help refute this false teaching and build up these believers in the faith. And now as we come to this section in verse chapter 2, starting in verse 1, Paul begins that. If you look up at at chapter 2 right there, he says, but as for you. Here Paul is contrasting the deceitful false teachers in chapter 1 with the way that Titus, as a pastor in Crete, should behave. So verses 2 through 10 are there filled with Paul going through typical household members, older men, older women, younger women, younger men, and bond servants. And that's where we're going to focus tonight, right? Sandwiched in there in verses 7 and 8, we see Paul addressing Titus directly. He's likely put it in this section because he's just talked about young men. And Titus is a young man, so he includes him. Titus, you're not above the instruction. I'm instructing all these, you to teach all these groups of people. Titus, this is what you have to do. And so in verse 7, I'll read it again. Paul starts in verse 7 by saying, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. So the challenge today is to bridge that first century world, that ancient world of Crete, and where there's an apostle talking to a pastor and determine what, what, what does that mean for us today in the 21st century in Wheaton, Illinois. So as do all passages of scripture, this one has direct relevance for us today, not just if we're a pastor, not just if we're an elder. And so here it is in one sentence. If you just kind of have been tuning that all out, just listen to the sentence. This is where I'm going. This is what the message is about. Uh, This is what I believe this passage is calling us to do. And that's to imitate the good works of your church leaders and to treasure sound teaching. Why? So that the name of Christ might not be slandered. Imitate the good works of your church leaders and treasure sound teaching so that the name of Christ might not be slandered. So each piece of that sentence follows the structure of this passage and will provide just the main points of the message. So if you Just to repeat, here are the main points we have from this text. First, imitate the good works of your leaders. We see that in verse 7. Second, treasure sound teaching. We see that the end of verse 7 through the beginning of verse 8. And finally, why does this matter? We see that at the end of verse 8. So the first implication for us from Paul's instruction to Timothy is that we must imitate the good works of our church leaders, the very ones who are called by God to shepherd your souls. Where do I get that? Well, I get that from verse 7. Again, if you're looking at your Bible, where Paul instructs Titus to show himself as a model or a pattern or an example of good works. 
In other words, if the Cretans were to observe Titus's life, they were to say, oh yeah, that's what it looks like to be a man of good works. That's what it looks like, uh, and, and we need to follow. The behavior of Titus was to be in stark contrast to the false teachers in Crete, who we read at the end of chapter one, professed to know God, but they denied him with their works. In other words, Paul is telling Titus, show the Cretans that a Christian pastor is different, a true Christian pastor is different than these other pretenders. And God is similarly instructing his church leaders in the same way today. You see, those of us who shepherd and lead this church, college church, the pastors and the elders, are to lead first with our lives. Our actions must confirm and support our message. So back then, when the Cretans look at Titus, they would have seen a model, an imprint, a a picture of a person who is devoted to good works. And when you, college church members, look at a pastor or elder, you should see a model in us. Though an imperfect model, you should see a model that you are to follow. But in the same way that we're called to be a model, we're not called to be like trophies in a display case for example's sake. No, we're, we're not to be just looked at and admired. The example that pastors are to give should be more like, I'm not really a craft person, but like the dotted line when you're making a craft or like, I've, I've made a sweatshirt once in like sixth, seventh grade. So you cut along that. It, it should be more like an example like that where you're cutting the scissors. This is the way to do it. Not like, oh, wow, that person's amazing. How did they get like that? That's what it should be like as a template so that those are the, in the church, you all would in a like manner to your leaders be devoted to good works. We're all called to it. All, every one of us. And with that, I do want to give a quick note to pastors and elders because I see a number around or future pastors and elders. Men, these words from God's word are our marching orders. Our lives, my life, your lives, are to be a template for others to follow. And our lives must align with our teaching. And I admit, this is, a, this is a daunting passage to preach. This is a high call. As I've meditated over this last week on this passage, there's this weight, this feeling that that's a, it's a high call, needing God's grace and his mercy. But men, that is what we are called to. I see Josue there. I see John. I see a number of people who are, Josh, back there. This is our call. So a brief word to pastors and elders. But for the rest of us who are not currently in church leadership, which is most of us, this passage, yes, calls your pastors and elders to be an example for you with their lives. But it's not so that you can judge them or kind of send them an email, be like, hey, remember when you preached that message? Not quite doing that. That's, that's not what this is about. So don't send emails after this message, unless they're positive. <laughs> but by implication... Uh, our call as pastors means that you are to follow us as we try to model good works. And you're to I- imitate us, much like Paul's ministry model that he articulates in 1 Corinthians 1.11. So imitate me as I imitate Christ. That is the model that Paul sets up, not just for uh, 
Timothy or Titus, but for his leaders within his church. Their life and their teaching should go hand in hand. So what does that look like? What does it look like to be a model of good works for others? Well, I, I think of someone in my own life who is an elder at, at my church in the Phoenix area years, many, many years ago. I was in my 20s, so I wish it was not that long ago, but it was uh, far fewer children were around when, when he was in my life. But this man invited me into his life. He showed me what it was like to be a Christian father, a Christian husband. He gave me examples. Even when they were having people over their house, I saw how they offered hospitality to others, including us, but kind of the back end of how they did that. And when Sarah and I were really struggling at a point in our seminary career, training for ministry, I was thinking, I'm going to have to give up and uh, just go get another job because we're not going to afford this. This man privately helped us with tuition and helped us to continue. I'm standing here partly because of this man, because of his uh, meeting a financial need, doing a good work, being a model of good works for me. And I, again, look around the room and I see many pastors and elders and some other men who have been that model for me right here at College Church, and I thank you for that. So that's what it looks like. But you may be wondering, okay, there's a model of good works. You're, you want to be a model of good works. What is the big deal about good works? I mean, if you ever notice, good works tend to get a bad rap sometimes in the church, especially when they're linked to our salvation. So we don't want to be called legalists. We don't want to be fruit inspectors, our good works. And, and sometimes we don't give good works the emphasis that Scripture does. And especially here in the book of Titus, good works is a major theme throughout the entire book. Not because of something that we could do to earn God's favor. It's very clear. Even later here in uh, Titus in chapter 3, we read that he, Jesus, saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. So to be very clear, salvation is an absolute free gift of God. But one of the key implications, one of the key applications and reasons why Jesus saved us was so that we would do good works. Where do I get that? Well, just fast forward a few verses in Titus 2 where the text gives two reasons why Jesus gave himself for us. If you look at verse 14 in Titus 2, it says Jesus gave himself for us first, what? To redeem us from all lawlessness. In other words, take away our sins and to bring us into his kingdom. And two, what? To purify for himself a people who are zealous for good works. So friends, one of the reasons God saved you is that you might be zealous for good works. He's redeemed you. He's saved you. He's given you his righteousness, but not to just sit around and be like, thank you. You do want to do that, sit around and say thank you. But you want to, he wants you to get after it, get after his work. Same thing as in Ephesians 2, where Paul presents the same exact case. He says, we are saved by grace through faith. There's no question, not a result of works, that no one may boast. But the very next verse, verse 10 in Ephesians 2, 
that we who are saved, he says, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. And not only that, not just any good works, these are good works which God prepared beforehand, the text says, that we should walk in them. So think about that for a moment. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have been redeemed, if you have been saved by his mercy and grace, God, in his grace and mercy, has prepared specific works for you to do from before the beginning of time. So what in the world are those works? It's kind of important for us to know. What are those works that we are called to be devoted to, to follow our leaders in, to imitate our leaders in? What are those works Well, I think we could probably have a whole other sermon on what those are, but in a very practical way, we could just start right in the book of Titus. So if you turn to the end of the letter, chapter three, verse 14, we read that these good works can include, could be a lot of things, but include cases of urgent need. So one of the, some of the many good works God may be calling you to do right now is just Practically, think about who comes to your mind. What comes to your mind? What are some cases of urgent need that he's placed right in your lap that you are aware of? Maybe it's an emotional need. Someone needs to meet and talk, and that would be a good work that you're going to go meet with them, that God wants you to do. Maybe it's a financial need. I talked about Uh, the elder who helped us some years ago, you are maybe aware of a friend or a loved one who is in financial need and he's calling you to be sacrificially generous to that person. Or maybe it's a spiritual need. You've got a neighbor that you develop a great relationship with and God has been nudging you, telling you, almost hitting you over the head, share the gospel. Share the gospel. And that might be the good work that he's calling you to do and that urgent spiritual need. It could be just practical needs of service at our church. We've got tons of them around. We can talk afterwards if you're wondering. Uh, At home, how can you help? There could be urgent needs all around. These good works are all around for us to discover and walk in and be devoted to. So if you would step into any one of these areas, you would be doing what Paul is referring to as a good work. Now I know, even saying all of that, you may be sitting there right now just feeling completely overwhelmed. (laughs) Uh, You might have come in here with deep burdens, felt like you're over busy as it is, and now Eric's calling me, and God is calling me to do good works. I mean, I don't even have time for whatever. I can't even watch a TV show and I, I, I gotta do these good works. Or maybe you're a leader and you don't feel like you're living up to this call of being a model of good works. Or maybe you're just thinking about all those things you're not doing already, all the things left undone and just devoting yourself to good works feels just crushing. Or maybe you've just wandered in here You're not a believer. You don't know Jesus. You're just checking out Christianity, and none of this talk really makes much sense to you. You understand good works, but you don't understand salvation. Well, whatever the case, there is a way to release the pressure you may be feeling. Some of us do need to be uncomfortable, like Josh was preaching this morning, Pastor Josh. Some of the comfortable need to be uncomfortable, however you said it, and uh, vice versa. 
He said it much better than that. But, but go back and listen. But none of what we've been talking about from this passage can be done on our own, in our own strength. The good works that we do are only done by redeemed, spirit-empowered people. And if you have not been doing what you know God is calling you to do, if you are a redeemed, spirit-filled person, tonight, your next step might just be to confess. Just confess, Lord, I have not devoted myself to good works like you've called me to. Confess these things to God. And the power, you see, and the example uh, to, to be an example or to follow an example of good works, it must come from outside ourselves. It must come from the one who is the greatest example, the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who is a perfect example, not just of good works, which he is, but he accomplished the greatest work history has ever known. The work of salvation through his perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his resurrection. He not only wants to be an example for you, but he wants to be the savior for you. He wants to be the go-to for you. He wants to be your everything. And so whether you do know him, you may just already, and you just need to know this afresh, or whether you have never known him and you want to embrace him for the first time, the beginning to both of those is, is through contrition, through humility, through reaching out and saying, help, I need your help. I can't do it on my own, whether it's these good works or even my own salvation, as I think about that. I can't do that on my own. So wherever you are, the beginning to start with any of this is the Lord Jesus, that he might uh, either redeem you or empower you for the work he's called you to do. So the call is to trust in him today, maybe afresh or maybe for the first time, and ask him to empower you to, to do these good works he's planned for you. Remember, friends, he knows you. He knows your frame. He knows your life circumstance. He's acquainted with all of your ways. He's not going to give you a burden that is so crushing. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. So this goal in imitating your church leaders, this first point, is not so that you would glorify that leader like say, hey, Eric, he's great, or Pastor Moody, he's amazing. Although I hope you would say that about him, um, <laughs> not about me. But, but the goal is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if you're imitating any of us, all we're going to do is point you right to Jesus. And if you are imitating any of us and you do know us well, you will know that we fall short every single day. And so part of the modeling will be the modeling of repentance and confession that we hope to give to you. Not just, hey, look at what he did, but look at how he needs Jesus. We want to model that type of authenticity as well as those good works before you. So that's the first point, and it's the longer one, don't worry. We're not, each point won't be quite as long. But point number one, we want to imitate our leaders. So through Paul's instruction to Titus, we learn church leaders' life must be a model of good works, and we must imitate those good works. 
So now Paul turns to Titus's teaching. He's talked about his life. Now he's talking about his doctrine, his teaching. He tells them, in essence, that he needs to be different than these false teachers in Crete. And through these commands, we are alerted to a second example of what we need to do from this passage. All of us need to do. And that is to treasure sound teaching. So look at the end of verse 7. There Paul tells Titus, In your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. Here Paul is rounding out a similar command that he gave to another protege of his. Remember Timothy. There in 1 Timothy 4.16 he says something very similar. Keep a close watch on yourself, that was point number one, and on the teaching. This is a pattern throughout the New Testament. For the leader in God's church, one's life and one's teaching are equally important. Being strong in one and weak in another will lead to a distortion of the gospel message. The messenger is important and his life is important. But let's look at the teaching now. Let's look at the essential characteristics that Titus' teaching must have. And by extension, all those church leaders who teach or preach the word of God. There's three things here. First, integrity. Literally, this could be translated incorruptness. What is this? This is teaching that is complete. It is whole. It is not corrupt. It is not shady in any way. It's not underhanded. They're not trying to accomplish something through the back door. It's full of integrity. Second, it's teaching full of dignity. This is teaching that is serious. It's worthy of God. It's, it's not flippant. It's not empty words. It's similar to how Peter says in 1 Peter 4.11 that those who are gifted in speaking should do so as if speaking the very oracles of God. That is dignified speech. That is speech that is full of dignity. And then third, it should be sound speech. The word sound here is often used by Paul in the pastoral epistles. It, 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 it means healthy speech, speech that is uh, specifically in the pastoral epistles in line with the apostles' teaching about Jesus. Today, we might call it gospel-centered speech. This is sound speech. And basically, Paul is telling Titus that his, his speech, his teaching should be shown to be true, authentic, God-inspired as the real deal, as opposed to those false teachers in Crete. Well, when you experience the real deal, impersonators are exposed for what they are. Uh, it reminds me of a video. Uh, you got to be always wary of YouTube videos, but a video that someone shared with me recently about the singer Adele. And uh, just stay with me for a minute. If you don't know who Adele is, you're over 45. But uh, if you're under 45, you know who Adele is. Adele is a, one of the most famous singers in the world. She's sung a lot of songs. One of them was called Hello. That's about the only one I know. But there's, there's some others. Maybe over 40, because I'm 42. So if you're over 40, you probably don't know Adele. I wouldn't know Adele unless I was college pastor for a few years. So anyway... There is this show where all these Adele impersonators were trying to do the best impression of Adele. And what was interesting about this show is that the real Adele 
was one of the contestants. She had just put on some makeup and uh, nobody recognized her. And I think she went by someone called Jenny. And so all these Adele impersonators were going and they're trying to be Adele. They're trying to do her mannerisms. They're trying everything. And then they were all sitting down in the front row. And then Adele comes up, who they thought was Jenny. She starts out kind of slow. And then all of a sudden, she bursts out as Adele. And one of the impersonators, it was, I mean, it's almost worth going just to see for this. One of the impersonators was looking and goes, (laughs) because she freaked out. It was the real Adele. It was the real deal. Her teaching was or her singing, she didn't teach anything. Her singing was so much different. It was so much more pure, real. It was the real thing. All these others were pretending to be Adele, but when the real Adele showed up, we all realized why why she makes millions and they are doing little gigs at bars and things like that. So what's that all to say? In a land of pastoral impersonators and false teachers there in Crete, Paul is telling Titus, show the Cretans through your teaching that you are the real deal. You're the real deal. These are all impersonators over here. These are all false teachers over there. They're not real. People will see the difference. They'll see it in your life. They'll see it in your teaching. So the text says that the false teachers in Crete weren't teaching with integrity like uh, Titus was called to, but for shameful gain. We learned that in chapter one. They weren't teaching with dignity. They weren't teaching these uh, uh, things worthy of God, but instead were teaching empty, baseless words. They weren't teaching with sound, healthy speech, but with deception. They were deceivers. So again, to bring it back to today, what does that all have to do with us? Well, three ways that this applies. And I I put it in three priorities. First, the priority of the local church. You've heard about your call for your leaders of this church to, to teach in this way, to teach in ways that are sound and dignified and full of integrity. So the question is, are you seeking to come under that teaching of these pastors and elders that they're called to provide. Practically speaking, are you prioritizing the preaching and teaching at this local church, if this is your local church? Or are you looking elsewhere? Are you kind of playing the field online? Priority of the local church. Second, priority of the word. How can you discern if something is sound in doctrine if you don't even know what doctrine is? If you're not in the word for yourself? So are you like the noble Bereans? Are you going to go back after this message and see, hey, is that really what God's word said? Or was Eric just told a good story about Adele or not a good story, uh, one of the others? So the Bereans would take Paul's teaching, the apostle, and search the scriptures to see if these things were so. Friends, we need to do that as members of College Church. We have some solid teaching here, I believe, but... That doesn't mean we can take it for granted. We need to search the scriptures to see if these things are so. Do you treasure sound doctrine? So the priority of the local church, the priority of the word, and then third as an application, the priority of good content. So maybe you could just ask yourself, 
Am I treasuring sound teaching in the podcasts that I'm listening to or the audio books or the videos I watch or the books that I read? Are, am I singing, seeking out sound gospel-centered resources or am I going along with the latest Christian fad? You know, the, I almost said a book that I won't say, but popular Christian books or certain teachers that are gaining a huge following. Remember, popularity does not equal sound teaching. So friends, this is the second point. Treasure sound teaching. And now the third point, which is the briefest of all the points uh, we'll get to, is why does this all matter? We've seen that we are to imitate our leaders' good works. We're to follow them as they're following Christ. We're to be devoted to good works. We've seen that we must treasure sound teaching. But why does this all matter? Well, that's what we're going to look at just here briefly. Because of this, because the trustworthiness of the message is at stake. Look at there at the end of verse 8, where Paul says, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. You see, embedded in this verse is assuming that there will be opponents to any true gospel ministry. Yes, Titus's but any gospel ministry throughout all of history. There is a spiritual enemy, the devil, and there will be opponents, both inside and outside the church. That was the case in Crete. It's the case case now. So when gospel ministry is advancing, often jealousy advances, slander advances, accusations of wrongdoing and the like will all be heaped upon church leaders if the gospel ministry is advancing. It's the case now. It's been the case for centuries. And we have seen when that happens, leaders must have impeccable lives. They must have teaching that will stand up to such scrutiny. Because when some of these gospel-centered ministries have been exposed, we've seen some of the leaders' lives have not been up to par and the ministries have crumbled. Sometimes their teaching is not up to par and then the, the ministry crumbles. So think about, to illustrate this, think about Daniel of the Old Testament. He's a young guy. He got moved up in the political landscape really fast. The other politicians didn't like it. All his contemporaries, they were jealous. So they looked for something in his life. We'll we'll find something. We'll we'll attack him. I mean, he's got to have something, right? But the scripture says that they found nothing. They couldn't find any attack ads on him. They couldn't run anything. All they could do is attack his faith in God. He was above reproach in every way. And friends, that is what your leaders here at College Church are called to be like. And that is what we all want to be like, is that if someone looks at our lives, they can't penetrate and say, well, they believe this, but they live this way. Above reproach in every way. And we are called to follow that example. You see, when many of us who are followers of Jesus are not living in line with what we believe or what we're teaching, if we're teaching something that's not accurate, it affects the entire body of Christ, not just us. So what does Paul say? He says that opponent will have nothing evil to say about us. You see, if Titus didn't walk worthy of his calling, it would have a negative effect on Paul, even if he's over in Macedonia. Not that we know where that is exactly, but uh, I mean, you know where it is, but you know what I'm saying. He's far away. He's far away. 
and ultimately, not just a negative effect upon Paul, but ultimately, the name of Christ. So brothers, sisters, let us walk worthy of our calling, because when we don't, it brings reproach, yes, to the gospel ministry and gospel ministers all around the world, but to the name of Christ. That's why it matters. So as we close, I I ask that you would pray for the leaders here at College Church. We've seen this high call of a Christian leader. If you're aspiring to be a Christian leader, uh, be warned. Not many should be teachers. We will be judged with greater strictness. So pray uh, for your leaders. Pray that our teaching remains sound, full of integrity and good works. Pray that our lives would be not able to be uh, attacked in any way because of things we're doing. And may you, College Church, may you walk in the good works that God has called you to do, even this week. And may he give you an appetite for sound teaching that will build up your faith so that you might become more like Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, What an amazing word from your word uh, this is. It's a challenging word, but Lord, help us as we seek your mercy to be people whose lives align with our teaching and doctrine, to be people who are devoted to good works. Lord, we fall so short in all of these things. We need your help. Uh, We are weak vessels. We are jars of clay, but you, Lord, you are to be magnified. You are to be honored. And so I pray you would do that as we apply this word uh, into our lives. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen.